0: Welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist, the podcast for anyone who's interested in acupuncture, complementary medicine, holistic health, and self-care. I'm your host, Alexa bradley Halsey. If you enjoy this show, you can help other people discover it by leaving a rating or a review, by following or subscribing on your favorite podcast listening app, or simply by telling someone about it. And if you'd like to support this show financially, you can become a paid subscriber on Substack for just a few dollars a month. Just head over to substack.com and search Notes from Your Acupuncturist or click the link in the show notes. And one more thing before we get started, just a disclaimer that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a replacement for medical care from a qualified healthcare provider. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Notes from Your Acupuncturist. I'm Alexa and my guest today is licensed acupuncturist, Jason Moskowitz. Today, we are talking about meditation, self care, and the concept of root and branch in Chinese medicine, which is one of the guiding principles that makes our medicine so beautiful and effective. So, a little about Jason. He completed his undergraduate studies at the University of California, California, Los Angeles and studied acupuncture and Chinese medicine at Yosan University of Traditional Chinese Medicine, also my alma mater, and also where we first met many years ago. In 2009, Jason joined the world-renowned Tao of Wellness in Los Angeles and was a partner in opening their second clinic location. In 2016, he moved his family of four to Vancouver, Washington, and took over as owner of New Harmony Health. Jason utilizes a wide range of treatment modalities in his practice in addition to acupuncture, and he is certified in nutrition, infinite energy healing, qigong and tai chi, and he's the co-author of the book Arthritis: Secrets of Natural Healing. Jason, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Alexa. I've uh, actually been really looking forward to this conversation for uh, quite some time. So thanks for having me.
0: Good. I have too. I'm so glad you're here. And I'd like to start by talking about something I mentioned in the introduction, what I consider really one of the defining characteristics of Chinese medicine and one of its true strengths, which is the concept of root and branch. So why don't you start just by telling our listeners, what, what do we mean by root and branch in Chinese medicine?
1: Well, root and branch, like many things in our medicine, is a metaphor for a problematic tree. And this tree in this situation is going to be us. And many of us who grew up in uh, Western society are used to seeking help when we feel a thing that we don't like. It might be anxiety or an upset stomach or back pain that causes us to seek help. And so often we, like myself, uh, grown up uh, in these environments where we feel a thing, go ask for help, um, get that symptom uh, reduced, and we're kind of uh, shuttled on our way back to our lives. And what's interesting about being a practitioner for a good part of 20 years now is that concept of root and branch has become sort of uh more complicated in in a really wonderful way um for a long time as a as a human and as a practitioner i would see a branch a problematic symptomatic branch as being what i mentioned already a bunch of symptoms and this root maybe being another physiological process going on in the body and so in chinese medicine we see that all the time you know people might say goodness, I've got a, a lot of gas and we can say, well, maybe we should uh look at what you're eating or even look at, uh, you know, the stress going on in your life. And uh, as I mentioned, being uh, in practice for sort of a mid-career span of time now, um, the root has become a little bit broader for me and i don't know if this is as a result of my own interests in energetic medicine and mental health care or being uh, married to and practicing with a psychotherapist um but in the the definition of a, of a root i think can go way beyond just our physical body um to mean uh really what's going on emotionally energetically spiritually um So this relationship between root and branch doesn't necessarily mean the physiologic body or the physiologic tree um, alone, but can uh, really expand to our entire experience of being uh, a human being. In fact, one of our shared teachers, I believe, uh, Niwa Ching is, is, I believe, quoted as saying that there is no incurable disease, Uh, there's just incurable people. (laughs) <laughs> Which I I still giggle when I say that, that to myself. That sounds like
0: something he would say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, when I say that to myself or say it to patients, I, I still find it uh, funny because, well, we laugh because we know there's some truth in that.
0: I love the way that you're describing the root and branch as the problematic tree. And you're really expanding my thinking here and how you're talking because... Going back to that tree metaphor, what you're saying is that the root isn't just the physical root of the tree. The root is the soil that the tree is in. The root is the air that is around the tree and maybe everything in the tree's environment that it interacts with. And it goes actually beyond the physical tree. The root um, is is beyond just the tree itself.
1: Absolutely, yeah, the The health of this tree is going to depend on, uh, on all of those factors.
0: Yes, because a tree is part of an ecosystem and we as humans are part of a community. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Ding,
0: ding, ding, ding. The light bulb <laughs> is going
1: off. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we as human beings are not all living in caves. Uh, that might be a nice retreat, but we are living as a community. And so are those metaphoric trees. And to relate it to our, our teacher's, uh, famous quote there. Um, when I first heard that, you know, there is no incurable disease, I got really puffed up in my chest and felt, ah, oh, so very egotistical about this mm-hmm. medicine I was studying, thinking mm-hmm. that's right. This is a panacea for all. It's going to cure everything. And after a you know short while, I realized that's a pretty silly notion um because plenty of people are going to progress in their their illness and their lives um irregardless of our wonderful treatment and I recognized uh in the latter part of that quote that there are no incurable people well what what does that mean um that means that um all of those environmental factors to the tree in our life are going to affect us we might come into their lives as practitioners and do our best work and work that makes all the clinical sense to us and the 99 percent of a patient or a person's life outside of the office is going to be influenced by all of those other factors their food and water and relationships and environment and toxins etc and so a person is a conglomeration of all of those things, and maybe also none of those things. And uh, the influence of people like us on other human beings seeking help, I think does actually have some shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And that is really um, our influence. Uh, I'm not here to take on another human being's entire life and influence every little aspect um, I've definitely seen, you know, many people come in for back pain and have their entire life changed. That's personally my goal. But to bring it back to the the quote again, um, I don't think using cancer as an example, I'm not really allowed to treat cancer itself. Right. I'm not here to cure cancer. I'm not here to cure um, disease despite my effectiveness as a practitioner in my chosen specialties. I'm here to change lives. So what walks in is back pain, what walks in is side effects from chemotherapy. And I do my best to achieve those um, results for those chief complaints. But my true desire is to illustrate to somebody that they're an entire person outside of their roles as a parent and a worker and a patient. And um, oftentimes people will come in for these these branch problems, but will leave um, with their root conditions being treated that may have absolutely nothing to to do with that branch issue that brought them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, the uh, the incurable person might be someone who is so ingrained, maybe even multi generation multi generationally with trauma, um, to be uh, engaging with the world in such a way that keeps them from being receptive to help from quality practitioners. That there's really not a lot we might be able to do for a certain person, and that is nothing wrong with us as practitioners or even them as people. It's just about right time and right place.
0: Right. This all makes me think about a larger conversation that I see happening in in the healthcare community, not just in the Chinese medicine community, but the broader community, is that we're finally starting to talk more about social indicators of health and the social aspects of health. And the impact of trauma, as you mentioned, the impact of environment and someone who uh, grows up um, on a busy street with a lot of traffic in a home that's not well ventilated is going to maybe be more likely to develop asthma because of the environment that they grew up in and it, which is beyond their control and um, and so I, I am heartened to see those kinds of conversations happening, but I think they need to be happening a lot more. And I think Chinese medicine practitioners are so well-suited to be leading and having those conversations because we've always looked at patients in a more holistic way. And we look at the totality of the patient and the context in which their life is unfolding
1: certainly um i think that's a a wonderful point the the social the social indicators of health i think point to that uh, using that same idea of the tree you know who who's visiting the tree Uh, is that tree uh, you know uh, next to an agricultural center Mm -hmm. is it next to an industrial center and it's going to be affected um in relation to those and so we are just as dynamic as any plant we are just as dynamic as any animal um and we could argue about you know who who's who's on the 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 list of importance here i think we're all important <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah. but as far as your your point um yeah there are indicators that affect us um outside of you know just the body just the mind and so i think patients are hungry they're hungry for um for experiences in in healthcare, I mean, in this country, for sure, because it's so difficult to get um, healthcare sometimes uh, for practitioners of all kinds who are willing to look at their entire being instead of just uh, their back pain, for example. In fact, I mean, this is what happens every day. Uh, Most of my professional life, people will come in and explain, you know, about the back pain that's been with them for years, and then they'll be upset That, you know, all of the conventional doctors who might be doing their wonderful job um, prescribing physical therapy and, and uh, you know, medication aren't interested in them as humans, Mm. um, aren't treating them as people. Um, A lot of patients seem to be frustrated feeling like they're just uh, a number uh, on somebody's list for that day and that there's really no connection. I have come to terms with a truth inside me as a human being and as a professional that when we seek help from others, we're really looking for relief and connection. And I find that that relief tends to not come at all or 100% um, to completion if connection isn't there. And so the art of connection is it's an art. And so that means the way one person is going to give it, the way another is going to receive it is unique to that relationship. And again, practitioners like ourselves who are engaged in the whole of a relationship with their body, with their mind, with the patient and practitioner, I think, again, are well poised to recognize the importance of connection and providing that that holistic relief.
0: Mm, I love that. And I love how you say that connection is an art and that that to me makes me think that it is something to be, it, it's a, it's something to be cultivated and developed and it might not come easily or naturally. And that's okay because it's, a, it's something that we can practice. Um, those of us who are practitioners or uh, anyone can practice the art of connection. So I'm curious then as a practitioner and you've been practicing for many years, how have you developed that art of connection in your own work?
1: Well, this is actually, I think a perfect segue into the word you used cultivation and uh, self-care and meditation. Um, I have recognized myself as a professional, as a parent, as a, a partner, um, that the better I take care of myself, the more I can be present and connected to those that I care about in the office and at home. And, um, I started out with meditation as a kid, never did it seriously, took uh, kind of a break from that and moved into Zen Buddhist drumming. I was part of a, a Japanese uh, drumming group for close to a decade. And that kind of transitioned me into Chinese medicine and studying movement arts. And so exercise and mindful movement. And really in the last few years, uh, meditation has really been my kind of full circle moment in, in mm. In caring for myself in, in sort of all of these realms. Um, movement's crucial, nutrition's crucial. Um, I think most of our modern society is aware of that and is actually having a growing awareness about meditation. Mm-hmm. But I, f- I find um, self-cultivation in the forms of meditative movement and meditation itself is still a little taboo simply because of the the way it's communicated, the way it's sold, the way it's talked about. It starts to get into psycho-spiritual uh, religious uh, words and and kind of becomes a turnoff for some, uh, mm-hmm. clearly not all, because it is very growing. And so the biggest tool for myself in being a, a better human practitioner, parent, and partner has been, uh, has been meditation mm-hmm. um, and regular meditation. And so when I <laughs> When I talk to patients who have a fraught history with it or just hate it um, like I did when I started, I started for, you know, hours on end in a strict position in a Buddhist temple and it was painful and I hated it. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, a mutual friend of ours named uh, Faron actually was one of my first acupuncturists and he introduced me to a different way to meditate. And I thought, there's got to be a different way to do this. And <laughs> sure enough, there's mm-hmm. just as many ways to take care of oneself, just as many ways to meditate as there are methods of, you know, communication or, or, or taking care of ourselves with food or for other modalities. But yeah, the prescriptive nature of meditation is just as diverse as a Chinese medical practitioner. As the unique prescriptive abilities of an acupuncture formula, or an herbal formula, or a nutritional formula. So, my own work on myself through tai chi, qigong, and and meditation has allowed me to strengthen myself. And as work, I plan to do for the rest of my life, in the hopes that I can inspire those close to me, and those new friends I meet as patients in the clinic every day until. I stop working
0: <laughs> yeah i'd love to hear a little more about your particular meditation practice and what you have found that works for you because yeah i i i hear from people who practice medic meditation and it works for them and some who try it and they can't stand it and um so yeah how, how does your meditation practice work
1: Sure. I mean, I, I'll get into sort of what I like and what I do um, in a moment, but I, I believe that even the word meditation is so incredibly gray. Mm. Um, and a lot of people will approach things like acupuncture or meditation because they're looking for relief and mm-hmm. connection, connection yep. from another person and maybe connection uh, within ourself. And what happens is we're often looking for relief from some sort of stress. Another enormous gray word that's relatively meaningless. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's meaningless.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Until we
1: find out, well, my stress is this thing in my back that I can't make go away. And your stress is that person you work for that you just want to, you know, every vacation is your only happy place. So everybody's stress is different. And the way people interact with meditation is incredibly different. There are thousands of schools of thought hundreds of thousands of different types of meditation and ways to do it. Um, I'm in the middle of a multi-year training program through the International Taoist Meditation Institute right now to mm. further my um, self-cultivation. And the organization of their program is really wonderful because they've broken it down into various, what they what they call pillars, really their um, different... Uh, things to focus on uh with each month and they repeat from year to year so one might be visuals um, visualization one might be sounds as far as uh, sound healing one might be uh, gratitude uh, which is the focus for this month and Hmm. we just got finished with words and vocations that spark a change within us and so moving around this (laughs) this potpourri of (laughs) of senses and ideas uh, when it comes to tr- traditional uh Taoist study of meditation and this has nothing to do with Taoism specifically because these exist in many cultures and many systems allows me as a consumer of meditation to kind of go what feels good mm. and honestly not all of them do mm-hmm. and not that doesn't necessarily mean that those that don't feel good are a bad thing because if we as holistic practitioners know the difficult things that I find inside me tend to be the thing that I need to focus on the most, the most difficult relationships that I have need to be, um, focused on the most by me to learn something. But we as consumers of life and consumers of meditation often approach something, see a difficulty and tap out and stop. Mm -hmm. And it's a reactivity in us as uh, Westerners, I believe, to have that instant gratification that crosses over into choices of healthcare care or choices in how we cultivate ourselves. So I believe actually the biggest uh, idea when it comes to engaging in all of this is to recognize challenge, recognize pain and go, I see you and to keep going, to move mm. through it, to find what works for you as opposed to going, this is too difficult, and to stop. Now, things might need to change because maybe you're doing something incorrectly. Maybe your posture's wrong. Maybe you're taking the the medication too high of a dose or whatever it is. So we've got to ask for help. Right. And that's another humongous thing that a lot of us do-it-yourselfers feel like, well, I've got this all by myself. And so as a community of humans, we need mentors. We need teachers. And so as a teacher, I become a better student. And as a student, I desire to be a better teacher. Um, and so that's what I advise all my patients and students um, to do is to be a teacher and a student ideally. Mm. Um, and I'm so thankful for for my teachers because they've really um, impressed that upon me um, as my careers progressed.
0: Do you teach meditation and Tai Chi and Qigong in your practice or for your, for your patients?
1: At the moment, since I'm pretty busy with juggling lots of different modalities, I do one-on-ones. I Mm -hmm. have um, great desires to do uh, classes, which I've done on occasion in the community. Um, And I have uh, plans to do larger things online later, but with two small and or medium kids, (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm pretty busy being a parent and definitely plan to do that much more later.
0: So a common response that I hear from people when when I talk to them about meditation is that they say they their mind is just too restless. They have a hard time relaxing. They can't quiet their mind and so they don't do it because you know because it's just too hard kind of like how you mentioned. So um what what is your response to that when people say that?
1: It's a universal problem. One I share, mm. uh, one I've seen myself progress through. And just like you, 90% of the people I talk to have the same complaint that keeps them from, from moving forward. And to that, I say, experiment. I have a handout that I give, you know, it's got five, really simple, pretty much self-guided things to do. And they're really quick. They're really simple. Um, But self guided doesn't work for a lot of people. (laughs) Right. So I've got to say, okay, you've got to try these four or five or six apps and videos on YouTube and just date. I like to. I like to. (laughs) I I like to talk about things when when I'm when I'm trying to communicate finding chemistry with a thing or a way of life. I I always come back to dating for some time for Mm -hmm. for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's something (laughs) we can all relate
0: to we've all had bad dates and good dates
1: that that's true and that's that's the idea is you uh-huh. you sit down with a meditation you go how does this feel now again just because it is challenging it doesn't feel good doesn't mean to give up on it but maybe after two or three dates with a thing you're like this isn't my thing yeah you keep going until you find a spark inside that says i'm moving in a direction I'm progressing, I see change, even if it's really small. And that can be a challenge because most people want everything right now. Mm -hmm. I want to lose 50 pounds today, Mm -hmm. right? Well, that's not realistic unless you get some extreme surgery done. I want enlightenment, whatever that means, today. But, you know, my personal belief of enlightenment is what we've already talked about. It's this road that we're on. It's this path that we're on step by step, small change by small change. If we're aware enough to recognize those small changes because they often happen and because we're so attached to these big now type changes, we totally bypass all of these small progresses that are happening, but we feel like that's not good enough. That's not big enough. That's not immediate enough. And we give up. This is just as much about patience.
0: Yes, that is so true. And you mentioned, I like what you said about the spark, like listening for the spark or looking for the spark or being open to feeling the spark, because that to me makes me think of intuition. And if you feel that spark, Then that's your intuition speaking to you, and and trying to to guide you and to be your friend. Um, Do you do you feel like meditation helps people be more in tune with their intuition, or like helps people to hear their intuition or feel their intuition more fully? 100%.
1: 100%. I was actually I was actually kind of hoping that you would ask me a question like this before uh-huh. we were setting this up. Absolutely. Um intuition as an idea, you know, we think of this thing being a a sixth sense. Um uh some some other way of knowing a thing. And this is again such a very foreign concept for um modern western cultured humans who are used to living our lives externally uh, materially and so to have an intuition would essentially mean to learn something from a place that isn't from another person that isn't from a book that isn't from a thing that i can hold in my hand but it's from uh generating a truth from inside your own being and that's such a again a very foreign sometimes scary concept for a lot of us that are very attached to um ways of living, ways of utilizing our mind and our systems of <clears throat> uh, belief sometimes too mm-hmm. and so uh, not that we have at all to remove any of our cultures or systems, I think we simply need to complement all of that with a world that's going on inside of ourselves that we can uh utilize intuition itself. To find intuition and to grow that intuition to a point where we can go, oh my goodness, I just figured something out by myself in complete darkness, and I didn't. It, it didn't come from anywhere else. It didn't come from mm-hmm. outside of me. That I can be my own uh, ever-flowing university to learn from. <laughs> When it comes to being on this planet and relating to others and caring for myself, meditation has been an enormous guide in, in generating that from, for me anyway.
0: Yeah. And I think, like you said, we're so accustomed to um, drawing upon the external world for everything that we need and to, and to live out our desires. And, um, and I think, One of the things that we have to do, too, is just to sort of quiet the noise from the outside and try to step away from that. And I think this is why, uh, you know, you you talk about like, you know, generating an an idea from the university of of you or I'm not quite sure how you put it. But this this makes me think of like why people tend to have get great ideas when they're in the shower. It's because. I feel like the shower is the one place where people don't use their phones because <laughs> it's kind of hard to use your phone while you're in the shower. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> Seriously. Somebody's going to invent the shower phone. For but, sure. Um, but yeah, like y- it's just you in the shower. It's nobody else talking in your ear or texting you or you're not watching a vid- YouTube video. It's just you. And so it's amazing what could come up when it's just you?
1: Yeah, it, it's super interesting that you mentioned the shower uh, having been a sufferer of panic and anxiety for a good portion of my life. It was actually a morning shower. That was actually the, the most difficult thing for me to do because there wasn't any other external thing occupying my mind. That was when my mind would go nuts. Wow. I, I would essentially utilize that time to uh, replay, you know, really awful images and scenarios for the, you know, five minutes. And I'm basically setting up myself for a really awful day every day right. for years. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow! pretty pretty awful. It's like, you know, warm water it should be, should be pretty relaxing. Yeah. Um, I came to actually, uh, not enjoying taking a shower because of how anxiety provoking it was. And now I <laughs> and now I'll I'll literally like recite invocations while I'm showering. <laughs> <laughs> it's another opportunity to focus. Right. Right. Um, and because if I'm not on my A game, I I can those bad habits might want to peek in and say, hey, I'm still here if you're not, you know, taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. And to to kind of respond to your you know the the common uh challenge that people have regarding that active mind mm-hmm. it's really to find a way to uh, to disengage you know all of these thoughts they they want to knock and go, "Look at me, I want attention i'm I'm going to be your focus for the next few seconds or few minutes or few hours, and to simply say, "You know I see you there, but I'm not interested in engaging with you anymore and to generate that habit and I've, I've improved mm. my ability to shower <laughs>
0: <laughs> <That's> good.
1: <laughs> and I have improved my ability to see what can come in those quiet moments um, like inspiration. And absolutely, I think that's when people are what people will call the, um, the zone in sports mm-hmm. or um, they'll call it a Zen moment, maybe when they're doing some repetitive activity like doing the dishes or um, painting the house. Um, or chopping wood Uh, and that's the uh, inherent um, benefit of engaging in the mundane aspects of life is that we can be in that intuitive space when we're engaging in life in that way as opposed to running away to pleasure activities only because that's really trying to escape from that part of life and we really do need a balance of work and rest uh not just rest so yeah
0: yeah and we really shortchange ourselves when we uh, are constantly engaging in distraction we miss out on so many opportunities to uh engage and cultivate our intuition and you know find out what else might be inside of us
1: absolutely yeah if we're aware of course um right. those that those that love their their um you know uh distractions and and sensory stuff they might have no idea that there's any other way of being that's true and and that's okay that's for them to learn in their own time Um, but it is a wonderful thing when you realize that you know there's this entire universe inside to explore and improve uh, and honestly it makes uh, life much more worth living
0: absolutely well So we've talked a bit about meditation. I would like to talk about Tai Chi and Qigong as well, because those are practices that you have spent a lot of years learning and practicing. Um, They're not the same as meditation, but I feel like they have a meditative aspect to them, um, but they involve movement. So I'd like to hear sort of how you, what do you feel like our, the different benefits of Tai Chi and Qigong versus something like meditation and and what's the role of each in in this process of healing and caring for yourself
1: sure I'll just kind of define the two a little bit Um, so Tai Chi and Qigong are both movement arts and uh, Qigong is like saying sports and Tai Chi is like saying baseball so Tai Chi, uh, which I believe loosely translates to uh, Mm. push-pull, is a form of qigong, which is loosely translated to energy work or energy discipline. And so uh, there are, again, thousands of different families and ways and forms of each of these types of movements. Tai Chi is often more a consistently moving set of movements where Qigong can be a little bit more broad and can have moments of stillness, moments of even meditation. Um, The word meditation often uh, connotes a, a standing, lying, sitting position where we're really focusing on the internal world and our breath in our intention, where Tai Chi and Qigong often have um, much more specific postures and movements uh, related to them. And they are different. And they have some similarities too. oftentimes when we're engaged in moving activities, like Qigong, it's actually quite difficult to think of anything else. Mm. When we are engaged in stillness, that is the experience of sitting meditation, for example. It's actually very easy to think of many, many other things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so both need to be trained when it comes to our body and our mind because those help each other as well. If we have a body that's not working very well, it's hard to have a focused mind, and vice versa is true. And so I believe um we need a little bit of both. We need movement. we need stillness. And so while I shared a story about meditation recently being a a sort of a boon for me, I I wouldn't say that one is necessarily more important than the other. I would actually consider them both to be part of the same uh, energy work that is one of the five main pillars of Chinese medicine. Internal work like meditation, internal work like um, uh, Tai Chi or Qigong, and then there's medical energy work like medical Qigong, Infiniti, as you mentioned earlier in the intro. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so just like, uh, somebody who's wanting to lose weight, um, right are they're hearing about food and, and movement and really nothing else. Mm. And, and very often if stress isn't being managed or sleep isn't very good, you can have a quote unquote perfect diet or perfect exercise routine and get absolutely nowhere. Um. So I believe, you know, meditation uh, in terms of still practices and uh, Qigong and the most popular example being Tai Chi in in movement practices are, are, I would say both needed ideally. But even in my experience, I started with movement and enjoyed it for many, many years as my primary mode of self-cultivation. And now I'm doing a little bit more of the still practices, but I'm always trying to find a balance of doing both. But again, with The multiple roles one engages with being a parent, et cetera, it makes it hard to do all the things I want to do. So that's okay.
0: (laughs) Right. Yin and yang, you know, the the movement and the stillness. You got it. Before we wrap up, I would like to um, give you a chance to talk about your book a little bit because you have co authored a book called Arthritis Secrets of Natural Healing. So um, are you free to share any of the secrets? Of natural healing on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> or is that what we've all already been talking about this whole time <laughs> I,
1: I would say we have and um, I think I can speak for my co-author dr. Ni, that there you know <laughs> that was part of a, of a of an effective title we're not looking to hold anything from anyone there truly <laughs> of course. Uh, are no secrets but you know truthfully the secret is the thing that we don't know and so when we engage with a book of any kind and we learn something, it, it, it becomes, it feels like a secret. It feels like we're being, you know, given a gift. Yes. And so this particular book, while the title is arthritis, uh, ends up being a lot about pain, a lot about inflammation. And we go into a lot of the things we've talked about, that whole problematic tree. And so somebody who's going to go into, a bookstore and, and look for help with their ache or pain or arthritis, they'll see that title and go, ah, this is what that's about. Just like when people come to us and go, uh, Alexa, my back hurts. And then you start talking about their poop and they're like, <laughs> why, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly because uh, uh, like I've heard you say in, in uh, other episodes, it's a phrase that I use all the time is that none of this is living in a vacuum.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right.
1: Um, your your guts aren't, you know, your guts actually <laughs> are right in front of your back, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: They're right next to each other. So they've got but, to be connected somehow. <laughs> for
1: sure. And so, yeah, the book is really about how your joints are connected to your metabolism. Your joints are connected to your hormones. They're connected to your mental health. They're connected to your nutrition. They're connected to your, your immune system. And so when we show up and go, my knee hurts, well, we're going to be asking about all of those other things because of the hundred plus different types of arthritis out there. um, In the Western diagnostic world, um, we as Chinese medical practitioners can um, recognize that there are thousands of more different types of people than there are Mm -hmm. types of diagnoses. And the way that those things kind of come down to a person in a clinic going, I have a knee problem, just like that person has a knee problem. And we as practitioners understand that the the, uh, the fix might be just as unique as the person showing up. So the book is not just about joint pain. It's really about taking care of yourself. And it's uh, about the, the pain experience and how we can engage with all parts of life to help ourselves.
0: And that really gets back to what we started this conversation by talking about is root and branch. And what is at one person's root is going to be at a different person's root. And... And the root, as you said, extends beyond the physical structures of the body. It's everything around us, too.
1: Certainly, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: We've covered a lot in such a short period of time. And again, I want to thank you for the opportunity. These are the types of things that I don't get a lot of uh, time to talk about in the clinic. So I hope patients out there are enjoying some of the stuff we're talking about. And um yeah, if you're if you're interested in, in the work that I do in Southwest Washington and are interested in getting acupuncture, you can find me at New Harmony Health. That's at newharmonyhealth.com. Um, we also do you know phone and and video stuff for those out of state or internationally as well. And and hopefully over the next years or however long it takes me to slow down my parental duties, I'll probably be doing some more online teaching of Qigong and meditation at some point too.
0: I would love to see that. Um, yeah, that would be great. We'll put a link to everything in the show notes um, so that people can find you easily. Um, Jason, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It is just so great to hear from you and hear your perspectives on on our medicine and the many ways that that we can heal ourselves. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Alexa. I hope you're well and I look forward to talking again.
0: Likewise. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Notes from Your Acupuncturist. If you liked what you heard, please follow this show, leave a rating or review, or just tell someone about it. And if you want to join the conversation, you can subscribe to Notes from Your Acupuncturist on Substack, where you can comment, ask questions, participate in discussion threads, watch videos, and read more of my reflections on acupuncture and healing huge thanks as always to our paid subscribers for helping keep this work sustainable. You too can become a paid subscriber for just a few dollars a month. Just head over to substack.com and search notes from your acupuncturist or click the link in the show notes. Until next time, this is Alexa Bradley-Hulsey, your acupuncturist, signing off with love and gratitude.